Another big night on the network. Game five, Florida and Toronto. Game five, Edmonton and Vegas. And the Toronto Blue Jays start their three games set with the Atlanta Braves. Alex Anthopoulos in town doing the media rounds a little bit. He was on Blair and Barker yesterday. Yeah, I bet. I bet Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins like that a lot more now than they did a couple years ago when he would uh, he'd poke his head up. And I got no problem with it. Hey, you're AA, you're a popular guy. Why wouldn't you want to? Uh, nothing wrong with watering the plant, okay? He's, he's earned uh, lifelong victory laps, in my opinion. For sure. Like, he can do this forever. He gave Blue Jay fans the best run of, you know, guys of our generation's lives, I would assume. Yeah, well, and he gave them the core that is, like, Vladdy, that's an AA He's put together the current core. It was, you know, there was a bit of a... Bit of a lull. Oh, there there are still some people very upset he about did, the shopping spree. He did that, go full AA. Yeah, he yeah. went full AA on the way out, but I'll go full I'll, AA. I'll say this. He is the only executive I have ever seen someone wearing a jersey for in the city. I was once walking into a Jays game and saw a guy with just a number one Anthopolis jersey. Now, big Greek population in the city. It's entirely possible that is just his last name. Mm-hmm. But I have, I've ne- for as beloved as Messiah is, and maybe a touch less so now than he was a, a year or so ago. But for as beloved as Messiah is, never seen a Ujiri jersey uh, for, for the Raptors. But I have, in fact, seen an Anthopolis Jays jersey. Yeah, so he clearly has uh, cachet in this town, but he brought a World Series as well to Atlanta. So uh, he can pretty much do no wrong. And that Atlanta Braves team, which is in town tonight, is mighty good. Ronnie Acuna Jr. Mm-hmm. looks like he's the MVP frontrunner, at least in the National League right now. Uh, that Sean Murphy came in. He might be the best catcher in baseball. They got things cooking in Atlanta, and it seems like they always do, and that Alex Anthopoulos is uh, involved is not a surprise to anyone in this market. Yeah, no, I mean, Spencer Strider, he's as nastiest pitcher as there is in this game, and, you know, uh, they they have the Canadian kid there, uh, Soroka. I know he's not ready to go yet, but he's making AAA starts, so that bodes pretty well uh, for for them this season as well, getting a guy like that back. And, you know, quite honestly, you always want to see the Canadian. When it's a pitcher, it's tough. You know, a Canadian position, player can come up here and go three for four and it doesn't necessarily murder your team's chances of winning but you want to see a canadian because you want to see them do well and if it's Mm -hmm. a starting pitcher for the opposite team generally speaking uh it's it's tough yeah you can be okay with a three for four night from an opposing player and a win 100 but uh odds are if that canadian has a good performance on the bump it's going to cost uh the toronto blue jays we're gonna get sam mckee on in a second and what i want to do with him is a superstar culpability index mm. because we've been talking about it, right? And we're still talking about it. I actually think it's good that we're talking about it because if we get too big on our britches here about them potentially coming back, uh, then maybe we miss the plot a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, prior to game four, we're talking a lot about, you know, the reasons why this has failed, the reasons the core four, for whatever, uh, for whatever reason, rather, has not been able to translate from the regular season to the playoffs. And we're going to be talking about the futures of these four players uh, a lot this summer. And kind of because we have to. Mm-hmm. It's not like they could just run it back. Uh, they can, but they can't without the conversation involving Austin Matthews. Mm-hmm. And for that reason, there's going to be conversations about just about everyone involved in this team. And we'll bring in Sam McKee now, uh, host of Leafs Talk and producer of Real Kipper and Born. Good morning, Sam. Hello, gentlemen. How are you? Uh, we're pretty good. Uh, I understand you've been fighting, uh, you know, yeah. part of our system here, trying to get on. Mm-hmm. We got you on the phone now. It's all good. Oh, you did might've... you have demons hiding in your computer and hiding in your phone and hiding under your bed? Yeah. Are we back to that, McKee? <laughs> is, is that the deal? Yes, absolutely. Exactly what's happening. I don't know. I pressed the connect button like I do every <laughs> other time. It didn't work this time. So I don't know what to tell you guys. I, 
Not exactly. Not exactly a computer whiz. If well, the old click connect doesn't work, I don't have a whole lot of other options. <laughs> well, we got you. Uh, and I only mention it because uh, I had a little preamble of what I wanted to do with you, which was a superstar culpable, culpability rather index. Um, it is a little too soon, but it was too soon before game four to be actually talking about consequences with these four. But when you look at what's mm. going on so far, the inability to translate from regular season to postseason for these core four players, um, who should wear it the most? Who should wear it the least? Who has drawn your ire when you look at these four guys? And I understand this is a fluid process, but if things kind of, if things stop here, <laughs> what's sort of the ranking in terms of like your anger towards these four players? That's a great question, Justin. Um, it's probably got to be Marner, right? Yeah. Right? Like that's the natural, that's the natural place I go unfortunately for Mitch, because I think that's probably where everyone's going to go just with a lot of these playoff performances that he's had beyond game two. I think that was his first ever goal beyond game two in a playoff series. Wasn't it the other night? I just, I think he's probably the natural one just because of his relationship with the media, his relationship with the fan base, holding the, everyone, you know, hostage for the extra money being in every commercial, everything you want to say with him, and then his lack of production throughout the playoffs. So I think the easy answer is Marner. But, you know, I think we could talk about what Matthews has looked like in this playoff series, and we can talk about what, you know, the inconsistencies of Willie Nylander. But, you know, John Tavares, he's doing his best out there. He's making a ton of money, but he just doesn't have the skill and speed that Marner does. I think Marner is the easy answer here for me, fellas. Yeah, I think I think for me, it's actually a pretty easy, like, one through four ranking of it's Marner, and then it's Matthews, and then I go Tavares followed by Nylander the last. Now, Nylander's the most inconsistent, but if you, but I can also see someone saying, what do you want from John Tavares? Okay, he's doing his darndest out here and putting him at the bottom end of that pie because Willie goes nights where he doesn't turn it on. He has nights where he's been the best player on the team. So for me, when I kind of just rank them one, one through four, that's, that's how I go. But I think a lot of that depends on how you feel about Tavares. And mm. I think a lot of people have very complicated feelings on that, obviously. There are people who... Are, were mad at him the second that contract got signed because it was too much money and he was never going to live up to it, yada, yada, yada. There are people who, I'm one of these guys, who, look, he came home, he took the money. I know it wasn't the massive discount, but he could have got more money elsewhere and he came home and he wears the C and he's doing his darndest. I just can't kill him for it. So that's why I, I put him just ahead of Nylander and then the other two are, are there for me. But I, I guess well, I guess what I'm saying is basically comes down to how you feel about Tavares. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Tavares, you know, he had a serious clinching goal that gave everybody, you know, an incredible feeling and you know, one that hasn't been held in this series, in this uh, city for 19 years. But, you know, you look back to game two and you look back to some other chances throughout this series, like a big reason why the Leafs are in a three, one series deficit here is his inability to finish. Like if he scores on one of his chances that he had in that game two, we're probably talking about a game five tonight with a series tied at two, two. Right. So like he's not, absolved from criticism when it comes to the big four here. He had a lot, a lot of chances throughout this series to really, you know, score some big goals for them. And he hasn't done it yet. And he's paid a lot of money and that's his one skill really these days. Like he's not very good five on five, but get him one-on-one with a goalie. You really expect him to finish. So I, if I was going to be, you know, I don't want to absolve him from criticism in this, even though, you know, the, all the story of him coming home and everything you want to say, 
he's got to bear down and put some put the puck in the net because that's what he's paid really really high money to do. Yeah, I think I think really the question is where you put Tavares if you're ranking them because the first layer, the most important thing is Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner are in their primes and they're not doing what they did in the regular season and they're not doing what other superstars have done around the league to elevate their teams in the Stanley Cup playoffs. But the Tavares thing is ser- is a serious issue. I mean, to throw your hands up and be like, oh, what's John Tavares going to do? Like, that is a problem. This guy's ma- making $11 million. And if we're talking about actually winning a Stanley Cup beyond winning one round, two rounds, three rounds, like, you have to be using every dollar wisely. So I guess it's like mm-hmm. he it's he's protected. He's insulated by that layer of, oh, he came home, and oh, he scored a big goal in game six, and oh, he's got two other guys who wear it more than him. But if we're talking about the future and what this team needs to do to actually win a Stanley Cup, I mean, I feel like he's front and f- like he's first and foremost to me because you cannot waste $11 million. You cannot have a player in the middle of your lineup who is hurting you more often than not or is going to be a diminishing asset or continue to be a diminishing asset. I mean, if we're having real conversations this summer, I know there's nothing really you can do, but if you could just be resigned to the fact that, hey, uh, they're stuck here. They're pooched. They have no chance to get around this. And if he can't actually help you and if it's going to get worse, then it just is what it is. Well, maybe, you know, maybe Chicago is looking for a, you know, a good Canadian center to mentor their brand new Connor Bedard. <laughs> they have all that cap space and there's not that much real money left on it. And they got to, you know, they got to gotta bump up closer to the, over the floor at some point. So maybe they're looking for somebody. The two Kyles seem to be best friends. Maybe you could, uh, maybe you could figure something out there. No, fellas? I, uh, uh, what I was just going to say on that is I actually thought the only way you were getting Tavares out of town. And I feel like I want to be clear on this. I'm the last guy to do that. But if you're somebody who thought that the four Oh sweep was your best way and everybody all summer going, this course stinks and he's at the heart of it and he's overpaid. And that's the big problem because John Tavares signed up to come home to be the captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs. But in no part of him doing that, did he think it was going to be seven summers of being told that this group could never get it done. And they're losers and never having a summer where he couldn't bask in the afterglow. So that was the one scenario I thought. And I do wonder if one game is enough to kind of save face and and take that away. Cause obviously he holds all the cards with the no move. That's the other part of it, right? Yeah. He's not like, I think it'd be a tough sell to tell John Tavares, who's just like (laughs) built his whole life here and multiple children. (laughs) Like, Hey, uh, no Chicago where they, they suck. You know, go there. Well, Dubas can't do that either, no. too. Like, who signed the contract is also very important. I mean, if you're if we're doing like, I mean, if there's you're a doing big conversation there too. Yeah, if you're doing, be the one doing the trade. If you're doing scorched earth, if you're doing like, we don't care about feelings anymore here. And to trade John Tavares, I mean, you have to have that attitude. There's no way Kyle Dubas, Dubas could embrace that. He signed the contract. He made the promises. He's going to be gone if there's any way John Tavares is gone. But if mm-hmm. if you're really talking about material change and changing the identity, cutting off the head of the snake, if you are doing things differently, maybe you could bring in someone who doesn't have a soul, who is heartless, to come in and actually have those conversations. I see that as maybe a possibility, but we're talking about minute chances here. Yeah, I, I really think it's a tough... Yeah, I'd, if I had to predict, uh, John Tavares will be playing the final two years of his contract with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And for that reason, we might just be like, oh, I guess they're not winning in this window. So I don't yeah. I don't look at it as a fait accompli that they can't win with him. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that's the best way to spend $11 million. But you know what I kind of look at it as? It's like it's an... 
it is a thing that you have MacGyver fixed in your house that there is a proper fix for, but the line of credit is maxed out and you can't fix it. So you're just going to live with this, okay? John Tavares is your 2C. Would you love him if he made $8 million? Sure, but he doesn't. He makes 11 and he's not going anywhere, so we just got to live with it. Like, that's kind of where I, I fall on it. You know, just in terms of the game tonight, McKee, you know, we have, we have done this all season long. You often get a text from me 10 minutes before puck drop of, okay, how we feeling tonight? Gauging what we expect of this group is among the most difficult things, except when their backs are absolutely against the wall like it was last time. I wholly expected them to win, to force a game five. Uh, I don't know what I expect out of this group tonight. Do you think it's a tight group that lays an egg, or do you think it's a group that goes out there and looks pretty similar to what we saw in game four? Because I don't think there's uh, there's too much in between there. Well, they stunk at home. I, I, I don't know what to to think like what are they one they're one and four at home yeah i think they have 16 goals for 20 goals against on the road they've been way better i mean you think about what was their only home win it was when they dusted tampa in that second game and they didn't have headman or chernak mm. i i i don't know i i really you know i think they're probably going to win tonight because just for the fact that this leafs fan base has been through so much and they haven't been through this yet so I think the Leafs are probably going to make this a series, get it back to six, maybe even seven, and you know ultimately break their fans' heart in a completely new way. That's what my that's what I really think. But you know, I do kind of not like the full hope meters there. But here's the thing, fellas: Florida stinks. Yep, like they're not a good team. They're just not a good team, and the Leafs really failed by letting them get out to a three nothing series lead. This is an incredibly winnable series. Mm-hmm. You watch them play like the the game on game four was a really, really great defensive performance in the Toronto Maple Leafs. Game three was one of the most frustrating games I've ever watched in terms of, you know, with the big stars. We don't need to have that conversation. Game four was the best I mean game two was the best game the Leafs have played in the Matthews era. I, I honestly don't know if they could have played any better than they did, they got goalied big time. They couldn't finish their chances. Mm. And then you look back at game one was one that they could easily win. Like this series, like if you want to have the conversation, could easily be reverse three, one, like this is such a frustrating, bad failure. If they lose this series in any fashion, because Tampa, uh, sorry, Florida is way worse than the Leafs. Like they've got good players, but their decor is old and slow. Like Bobrovsky's one of the most hot and cold goalies in the history of the league. I'm just, I, I do think that there's a chance for the Leafs to come back in this just because Florida stinks, but I don't think the Leafs are going to do it. They've dug themselves too big of a hole. Boys, is it going to be frustrating to watch the Carolina Hurricanes absolutely truck through the Florida Panthers yep. if the Leafs can't come back? I mean, With Freddie I don't, Anderson I don't, making big yeah, saves Freddie just to that, twist the knife. I don't even think that's going to be remotely competitive if it gets to that. Um, I don't like the matchup for the Leafs either with the Carolina no, Hurricanes. No, I, no. Was watch, I was watching that game last night there, and I've been watching that series a little bit, but man, they are flying good old jt might be yeah he might have some trouble keeping up in that series if the leafs can Uh, get there Uh, everyone might yeah everyone might and if the the truth is the leafs are not the quickest team uh i don't know i don't know when we we thought that we did think that a couple years ago they've become slower for sure and older for sure uh but carolina is playing it's because they have little quick guys like you see kerfoot cruising around out there the legs are going he looks like one of those guys empty calorie guys people put on their lawns where the wind blows the legs that's what he looks like marner's cruising around lafferty fast but yeah you're right it's not it's not the burner team that some people think they are uh sammy do you consider game four redemption for mitch marner in any meaningful way no 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 <laughs> i mean like oh yeah congratulations you played better than horrible like you know like 
you performed in an elimination game for one of the first times in your career. Like, no, I, I really do not, you know, good for him. You know, he, I, I mean, listen, he turned, how many times he turned the puck over in that game mm-hmm. in the offensive zone? Like he still kind of had the same game that he did in game three. He just scored one that bounced off somebody and went in the net. Like I, I don't like, you know, he was good on the penalty kill. I just I really have a tough time, you know, giving him flowers after that game where I know we had a, a goal and an assist and a 2-1 win. But, man, I, I don't think that was close to redemption. Do you guys? No, I don't think it was. The one point I did make, and I'm with you, like, and I, I'm happy when I bring you on because sometimes I feel like I'm too mean to Marner and then I hear an answer like that and I go, yeah, maybe I'm not mean, mean enough. But, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. The one thing I will say and kind of push back is it's a conversation we've had about this Leafs team in playoff past is – how many times were they the better team and they should have won a game, but they didn't. And how many nights have we talked about Marner dazzling, you know, with the puck and looking dangerous and having nothing to show for it because Vasilevsky standing on his head or something along those lines. So I'm with you. I don't think it was some big redemption arc, but if we play the result when he doesn't get points, but looks good, we got to give him a little credit. And I'm not saying you're not, but yeah, that's, that's just kind of where I fall on it. Let's, let's talk about Matthew. I thought, I thought, Mar- I thought Marner was brilliant in the first series. I thought he was really- yeah. Really, really good in the first round. They won his minutes in a big, big way. Like, he was just on the ice for a lot of good things. He scored up. How many points did he end up with in that first round series? He was really yeah. in the first round. But then it's just kind of flipped here in the second round. I don't, I don't know what's going on with him. He's turning the puck over a ton. It's just, it's really flipped him for him here in the second round. Yeah, it has. Uh, you know, let's let's talk about Matthews. Obviously, the two of them, um, I think for a lot of people thinking, unfortunately, have been tied at the hip, not just in terms of this franchise, but literally on the bench. They will not separate the two of them, uh, you know, for the criticisms we've leveled at Marner, rightfully so. It's been such an odd conversation around Austin Matthews all season long of everyone saying, you know, he got off to a slow start last year and then he ripped off 60. So I think we were all a little gun shy to rip him to start the season. And then he would have every two weeks, it felt like, a little burst of two or three games that could talk you into, ah, here it is. It's finally coming. But it never has really come to fruition. What do you made of just the weird season we've got from Matthews and his play in this series specifically, man? Well, I think I would like him to shoot a couple in the net. That'd tonight. be nice. That'd is be that, nice. Is that, a, is, that a fair, uh, is that a fair ask? I think at least I think one. It's not too much think, to ask for one. I think that's one thing that kind of gives you some hope going into tonight that they could eventually at least extend this series to to six games is that, you know, uh, Tavares hasn't scored, Matthews hasn't scored, and, you know, you're still in this series. Like, I think he has been tentative at times. I don't think he looks the same. I don't think he's going to the front of the net as much as he was. Like we talked about in that 60-goal year where he scored so many goals with tips in front of the net. You look back to Vas- uh, against Vasilevsky where he scored tips in front of the net, and, you know, the, you think about the one where he – tipped it up from Marner's shot mm-hmm. in game three, maybe. And then in game four there where he scored two, where he tipped that one from Nylander going through the front of the net. I don't really know if he's been doing that as much in this series. And I mean, it's hard to kind of not draw the parallel with who's in front of the net. Like I saw him battling with Ekblad then that's in the, in the last game, but like going to the front of the net against Mark Saul and Radko Gudis and Aaron Ekblad seems like it's not a lot of fun. Like they, like he does it here and there, but it's just not to the same level that he was doing it in the first series. And a lot of that probably has to do with getting buried constantly by these, you know, the butchers that they have on that back end. So I think the key for him is he's just got to go like to the net where he's found a success 
in his 60-goal year and in any year he's had, it just seems like his lack of ability to get to the middle of the ice. He just That play when he had with Yarncroft in the mm-hmm. last game where he decided to dump it into the corner instead of passing it to Yarncroft, like, I, I don't know what's going on with them. It just feels very similar to this year where we were having the conversation of what's going on with them. And once again, he was brilliant in the first round series. Mm-hmm. What do you have, five goals? Yep. But it's just flipped for him completely in this series. And I, I guess the other thing is, is that Vasilevsky was horrible. He was horrible in that first round series. He's a huge reason the Leafs are playing right now. He killed Tampa, and Bobrovsky hasn't been doing that. So I have a few theories on it, but it just feels very similar to this middle of this year where we were talking about what's going on with him. Yeah, there's definitely something to that. Fan Morning Show, Brent Gutting, Justin Cuthbert talking to Sam McKee of Leafs Talk and Real Kipper and Born Fame. Uh, they got to get your name on the show there, bud. You're, uh, every clip I see is, uh, is starring you, it seems like, uh, especially on Florida Panthers Reddit, but we'll uh, we'll, we'll leave that one alone. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. it's, it's funny because I would like, I agree with everything you're saying, that there are play style issues that are causing him to not have the same production. Is there anything it feels weird to say about the uh, guy you would like to see signing a contract extension with you with your hockey team uh somewhat shortly is there anything that would give you more hope in the world than whenever the season ends hearing austin matthews goes under the knife for wrist surgery and that has been what's the issue all year long because we have talked about it they've showed little moments he took the three weeks off and the shot doesn't look right i'm with you there are play style things that are causing the numbers to dry up a little as well but he had a moment in that last game where he had a clean look in the slot and he just he missed he missed the net and that was the stuff we saw from him at the very beginning of the season it wasn't ripping a post or just missing a spot a little bit it was him just flat out missing the net and he wasn't doing that last year so I wonder how much of it's that and honestly how good like again seems like a weird thing to say but how good a news would it be to hear whenever the Leafs offseason starts that Austin Matthews will undergo wrist surgery and that's what's been the problem all year long yeah sure I I guess that's what give him that Sheldon Surrey bionic wrist like it just feels like Leaf fans you know are looking for excuses for when their players don't play right. Like, I feel like a lot of people do this. When, when they're, you know, it's like, oh, is he hurt? Like, I remember whenever Steph Curry would have a bad game, they're like, oh, he must be dealing with something. Like, you know, every guy's hurt. That's the playoffs. Like, which guy in this series isn't dealing with something? Like, Ryan O'Reilly looks like he's playing with a broken fibula. Yeah. Like, I, 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 don't, like, I don't really care, to be honest. It's playoff time. Like, everyone plays with injuries all the time, and I hate, like, that – that's a common thing that's said amongst fans with inj- with you know injuries around this time of year and like everyone kind of blames that and like saw you know Bieksa was speculated about him being possibly hurt like he probably is and sure like it'll make you you know help you sleep a little bit better at night that the guy that you know you're gonna pay fifteen million dollars a year was hurt because it wasn't that he was had no heart or something I guess it may be you know, helps you sleep better at night, but it doesn't really matter to me. I just think everybody's hurt at this time of year. Yeah, I'm in the same boat with, uh, as you, McKee. So just let me quickly jump in on that because I'm weird like that, that I do that. I give that exact answer every time someone gives it to me. I don't know. Maybe I'm just so in the tank for Matthews and that's why because somebody might be you, uh, McKee, posited to me that Marner might be hurt earlier in this series and I said, ah, get out of here with that. Everybody's the same hurt. answer in so, that he's hurt? So I guess it's just, yeah, I do just, maybe I'm well, just a little I more mean, in the tank I for Matthews sure, or I've seen I, I it more. You're right. For, I was searching for reasons why he was dreadful. Like I was like, maybe he's hurt. I don't know. Like maybe he can't pass a puck. I I don't know. Like I just, I feel like it's just something that gets talked about. No, you're right. You're right. 
I, and I generally don't go that route. I mean, until you tell me there's something debilitating, I'm going to assume there's something not. Uh, but I did fall into that trap as well in the last game where Matthews got a pass and it looked like he had all the room in the world in neutral ice to turn up and actually make something happen. And the, sl- the turn was slow and he lost all of his momentum. And that's not a risk thing, but that was the first time I was even entertaining the idea that, you know, maybe he's not even impacted from the upper body and the shot is not the only thing, but maybe he's not moving right as well. Uh, but again, we're just, we're just making I- excuses. And it might just be that it just might be someone who doesn't feel comfortable in his current situation, which is trailing a series at that time, three, nothing. And just being, you know, understanding that the consequences uh, are pretty dire coming up here. Um, You guys broke down Sheldon Keefe yesterday. I'm sure uh, a lot. Uh, And I wondered yesterday, you know, we, we caught up on it later and he said it was the best effort of the season. And I think that's absolutely absurd, but you're saying what you need to say in that moment. What did you make of Sheldon Keefe's flattery? And I think the overflattery, honestly, of his group after game four, is that just him having to coach this team the way, well, the only way he really can because negative reinforcement, well, that's not the way to go. Yeah, it's definitely that. And, <laughs> you know, I thought, I thought before uh, game three, when he was asked, oh, sorry, before game four, when he was asked about the big stars not scoring, like he just kept the kid gloves on and he's all like, he doesn't, Ever since that, you know, the referendum earlier in the year where he called out the stars and it was like a four-day talking point, you know, where everyone talked about it forever, he hasn't buried them at all. And I thought before game four would have been an excellent chance to just kind of be like, hey, we need these guys big time and kind of put something out there. And he was like, he just went back to, oh, they're getting lots of chances, which if I hear that, they lose on if they lose tonight and I hear that again, like I, I really don't know if I can do sports media anymore. I'm moving to a hut in the woods, like like, oh, we just had good chances and they didn't fall. If I hear that tonight, anyways. I just What would be worse, I, that or respect? If if uh, Matthew Kachuk respect the ball in the handshake I, line, would that I, be worse? I don't know. I don't know what's gonna be worse. But I just I don't know. I don't really I think Sheldon Keefe is coaching for his job right now, fellas. I don't think that's a very hot take by any stretch of the imagination. And I think he knows that the more he, you know, just praises these stars and tries to, you know, treat them with kid gloves. And like, he was so complimentary of the game, which I get, it was a coach's game, right? Mm -hmm. Justin, like it was like a shutdown game where they block a hundred shots and they don't allow a lot. Like I get why he was so complimentary, but yeah, like maybe like, yeah, we got to win three more of these babies. I, I don't know. The thing that, did you guys hear Paul Maurice after the game yesterday? We were talking about this before the show. What was he talking about? <laughs> and what did what did he have? And can I have some? That's we what did, I was thinking. I had to do some amateur audio editing yesterday so we could play that one <laughs> clip on the show where he's dropping F-bombs all over the place. But, like, if there's one thing that makes me feel differently about the series, it was that press conference. The man was... Unhinged. Like, he was completely unhinged. I He was deranged what are you talking about like i i i couldn't believe like he's such a weird guy to listen to because he doesn't like they'll ask him a question about the game and then he'll just like get into these like platitudes and like these huge like big picture conversations and like no it's like the now the media doesn't even really ask him real questions about the game because they've kind of got into it like it's like a very like almost like a podcast interview listening to this guy talk like i don't know what the hell he's saying and he seemed like he went into that press conference being like, I'm going to be Mr. Cool guy. Like, I'm going to be like, this doesn't bother me. But he was steaming mad and he had no <laughs> idea what he was talking about. And he's talking about Will Ferrell movies. So we think like, that's old school, right? We got to keep yeah, our yeah, composure. We, we, that's we, what we, we think. 
Yes, uh, shout out my boy Luke uh, Swadron, who's one of the got new hires at Sportsnet Five Nine the band. He dug that up yesterday and he put together a little compilation for us, so we played it on our show yesterday. That's definitely what he thinks it is. He got it mixed up. Old Canadian hockey guy, you know, basketball movie, and then they were in a locker room. He smashed <laughs> like just quickly. As an aside, I don't think I've ever laughed harder in my life than that scene with Will Ferrell banging on the oh. locker, saying we got to keep her composure, being it's all incredible. Burnt. Like it's incredible. So. Yeah, and uh, I started talking about Sheldon Keefe and ended talking about Will Ferrell. I don't really know where I'm going to go from here, but yeah, I didn't love how complimentary Sheldon Keefe was of the team after that game. He's still got to win three more here, fellas. Yeah, I didn't love it either, but like you said, he made his bed, or whoever whoever told him to handle that made made their bed when he walked it back. And he was soft, in the building. The soft comments in New York and all that. So you can't you cannot just turncoat the when the playoffs start and say, oh, I'm a new guy. I'm going to turn into Sutter and just bury you guys left, right, and center. It just it comes across so wholly inauthentic. Yeah. And then, yeah, Maurice, like, I don't know what's what's going on there. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he got too much sun. We know Nylander was cruising around shirtless uh, on the beach. I don't know. Maybe Paul Maurice uh, was joining him because he sounded like a guy who had a little. Was, uh, was Willie cruising around? Yeah, apparently game apparently game day. He was cruising around uh, shirtless uh, b- beforehand. Yeah, yeah well, you got to read Josh Cloak in The Athletic. His, he has his a, lead, a uh, romance novel description yeah. of the scene of, of shirtless Nylander. Which... He, quote, strutted alone and topless down North Fort Lauderdale <laughs> Beach Boulevard, unaffected. <laughs> by the countless joggers storming past him. That's real. Well, that's a great... Well, we're having Josh Cloak on our show today, so there you we're go. definitely getting some details on his shirtless Willie. I, I, I don't care about that. Like, no, yeah, no it doesn't matter at all. No. Guess, guess who else would have their tarp off if I was there? Me. Yeah. So, like, I'm not going like, to kill we were, Willie for who has a... Well, he showed up, too. Super hunky dude. Yeah, he scores. Like, I'm not going to get after him for it. Like, we were... That's allowed. Before the show, or to start the show today, because uh, Cuthbert was bold, we wore shorts in, so we were going off over, like, the office dynamics, and if anybody would go tarps off in office, it'd be you. I know you won't, because you value your job, but if I had to place a bet on somebody, uh, it'd you be want, you. That's, like, plus you 800. Funny, you want to hear a funny story inside baseball here? Yes. During the, like, early pandemic days, we were doing, like, our first, <laughs> you know, like, our first, like, you know, Zoom meetings. And I didn't even like really think of it. Oh, I, mean, I don't remember really, this. I don't really wear a shirt ever. Like I don't have a shirt on right now. If I'm being honest, with you guys. And I was like, if I'm at home, like, and it's before I leave for work, I'm probably not having a shirt on. And I was on the meeting, and I didn't really think of it, and I had no shirt on. And then my, I think Fabro called yeah. me. He's like, "Hey, buddy." Maybe put on a shirt next time. <laughs> I was like, that's fair. That's very, very fair. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, – it's not just Willie that likes tarps off, boys. Uh, your boy here likes it too. Oh, you like it more than him. Uh, he should like it more than you, but you definitely like it uh, the, the most out of anybody. Uh, okay, uh, we'll stay in hockey, go away from the series for half a second. I'll let you get your licks in. I called it a cowardly decision by the NHL's Department of Player Safety for the one-game suspension for Nurse and an equal one-game suspension for Alex Petrangelo. What say you? Yeah, I yeah, I think you nailed it. Like they did game management with suspensions here. Like it's it's pretty crazy. They you know, one for one. I thought the best way to go would have been to rescind the Nurse and then give Petro one game if you're going to do it that way. That's what I said, but yeah. Can, but if you're going to give Nurse a game, you got to give Petro two, but they didn't see it that way. I think Petro's sort of reputation played into this. I think they probably looked at the tape of him getting absolutely run for the whole series. You know, uh, Kane cross-checked him in the mouth one of the games. Like, he is a pretty classy player. Like, I don't think he's dirty at all. And I think they probably took into the fact that he had been, you know, like I said, absolutely buried the whole time. And, 
he, he just short-circuited, boys. Like, he, his wires crossed. <laughs> you know, like, anyone who's ever played hockey, they know that, like, you have these moments where you're like, I am going to do something incredibly dumb, and I do not care about the outcome of it. And he did it, and he deserved two games, but I think they probably, like, if I'm looking, if I'm going to get into the mind of George Peros right now, which, you know, I would like to get in there and make some, some you know, changes. I'm just saying that I think they probably took into a fact that he had been uh, targeted pretty hard up until that point, and that's maybe what motivated him to do it. But, yeah, one game for, you know, attempting to injure maybe the best player in the league with a tomahawk over the head chop doesn't seem fair. And I know this will, you know, this is chum in the waters with gunning. Yeah, but, do it. But I guess the second round, it's different than the first round. Like, that, no. that's one thing. You know, second-round games are more important than first-round games. Uh, I know that's new for Leaf fans, but, like, it's it was not – I think it, you could talk, have a conversation about which is worse, the the bunting, the intention, yeah. at least, between bunting and Petrangelo. But they just played the results of Chernak, and Chernak missed the rest of the series. And they, you know – Drysaddle's not going to miss the series, so I think they probably played the results a little bit too. Bad decision, boys. Should have been two games for me. Yeah, we're considering death penalty for bunting, and it's, you know, context and excuses and game management for Vegas. Uh, it just doesn't yeah. seem to add up. Uh, um, also, agreed. just wild, wild move by you to call Alex Petriangelo classy 48 hours removed from him trying to cut off Leon Drysaddle's hand. No, I'm, not that, e- like, I'm not even disagreeing with you. I'm just saying it's a wild descriptor of a guy who tried to cut off somebody's hand two days ago. <laughs> well, you don't think of him as like a butcher at all. Like, no. He's one of the elite defensive in the league. He's super like, totally, he's like totally. a Norris-type guy. Like He's not like a like a soft guy, man. He's just not that guy. You should also like, uh, there's some strategy to making life miserable on Petro. And if he lashes out, it's on him. I mean, mm-hmm. that, like the Oilers sure. have done this for a reason. Anyway, it, it just doesn't make sense. Uh, Sam, we got to let you go. Uh, we appreciate you staying long with us. Uh, oh, and uh, Leafs talk tonight, either way is going to be a gem. Thanks for coming on, bud. Yes. Hey, my pleasure, fellas. Have a good rest of your morning. Uh, Sammy McKee of, you mentioned it, Real Kipper and Born and Leafstock fame. Let's get and to quickly, quick plug, uh, golf show tomorrow. Me golf and him, show. 9 a.m. Sports there you go. Uh, the grind does not stop. Uh, let's get to something to chew on. Brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. Okay, so it's bad enough that they get Thanksgiving mm. every year. Yeah, okay, I know where this is going. But the Detroit Lions are helping kick off the 2023 NFL season opening night versus the Kansas City Chiefs. So you... Kansas City, obviously. Mm -hmm. Uh, Super Bowl champion, obviously. Uh, You don't even get to say. They just play. Uh, But the Detroit Lions chosen to be their opponent. I can't even draw a parallel between them. I can't think of any reason why these two teams would play, why you'd have Jared Goff on opening night, why you would have the Detroit Lions play in the premier game, the marquee game, maybe the game outside the Super Bowl gets that gets the most eyes, maybe, because people have been dying for NFL football for seven months. I cannot, for any reason, figure out why they did this. Do you have a theory? Red and blue look good if they go color rush style jersey That's matchup. Good, yeah. That's the best I got for you. Uh, yeah, hey, I, hey, I'm happy the Lions have turned it around to respectability, but you don't get to open the NFL season because you're back to respectability. And the funnest like, thing... Is Dan Campbell well, I was going to say, the funnest thing about that team is Dan Campbell, but guess what? I got to watch Jared Goff go at third and three. I don't get to hear Dan Campbell for three hours just go, we're going to be eating cartilage and ripping ribs off of guys. <laughs> like, we're not going to do that. That's awesome, but he's not playing in the game. Did not make the playoffs last year. Have not made the playoffs. Their claim to fame was just ending Aaron Rodgers' career in Green Bay. That's ah. enough to get you in prime time? Lot of, Opening let me, night? Let me tell you, uh, hand up is one of them. A lot of people hate Aaron Rodgers. So, Just a reminder, 
it was the defending Super Bowl champion, LA Rams, and the Buffalo Bills to start the 2022 season. Bills and uh, Bills and Jets to open the Buffalo season on the Monday night or that week. That would be a, a good opener. game for yeah. the opener. Although you have to have the Super Bowl champions, I suppose. But I mean, come on. Detroit Lions opening the NFL season. Makes sense if they had any success to this point, but they have not. Uh, we are going to take a break now. We're going to get to Ben Nicholson-Smith after the break. I was told that there would be no victory lap here. AA is not in town. No victory lap for our buddy Alex Anthopoulos. But we will digress and we will chat with Ben Nicholson-Smith of Sportsnet right after the break. The best Blue Jays show out there, period. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back on the Fan Morning Show. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Uh, reminder, you get your Wake and Rake selections in. You can text it to 590 or 590 or tweet them at us. Yell Jason. it into the void. That's a little less direct and you might not get to us, but if you want to do that, just put it out in the if ether. You're, if you're close enough, it, it might work. Uh, at JC Cuthbert at Gunning590, uh, we will we will get to your submissions later at 8.30. Uh, let's get to Ben Nicholson-Smith, co-hosted at the Letters Podcast, editor at sportsnet.ca, and on the call this weekend with Ben Wagner. Good morning, BNS. Good morning. How's it going, guys? Uh, we are doing pretty good. It's been a up-and-down uh, sort of road here recently for the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, swept in Boston four games. Respond with three victories in Pittsburgh. And then a tough little weird series midweek here with Philly uh, with a pretty disastrous ending. Uh, what do you attribute this roller coaster nature to? Yeah, it's definitely been a lot of ups and downs. And this is a team that started so well. But recently, uh, you know, that road trip was pretty tough to be swept and then to be swept again uh, by the Phillies. Uh, it's to me more a product of the baseball season than it is a particular strength or flaw of the 2023 Blue Jays. I, I think that when you look at the course of a long season, even the teams that win 95 to a hundred games and the Blue Jays remain very much capable of that they oftentimes are going to look uh, pretty inconsistent at times. And when baseball teams are bad, they always look bad. It's hard to lose in a way that looks good. And the Jays certainly looked bad against the Phillies earlier this week. Um, but I don't think that we're watching a fatal flaw unfold here. Did you learn anything in those struggles in Boston and Philly that, uh, you know, is stuck in your mind that will continue to stick in your mind that could result in something like more meaningful uh, and something that might have to be addressed uh, later on in the season? I think always. And, you know, what, what comes to mind for me with those two series is Alec Manoa. I mean, he was on the mound for for uh, one of the games in Boston and also uh, in Philly in the Tuesday game, the opener. And he just hasn't been himself. You know, we haven't seen the same life on the slider. Uh, we haven't seen the same swings and misses. His command hasn't been there. Uh, the walks are, are way too high for what you'd want to see for a guy who was a Cy Young finalist last year and, and such a big part of the Blue Jays' plans. But, yeah, I, I think that's where I would point when it comes to, um, you know, something that we've, we've learned or, or information that's kind of revealed itself. And there are, of course, lots of other smaller things as well, including you know some pretty tough defensive play um, from Santiago Espinal, from Bo Bichette on Wednesday in a game that the Jays definitely should have won. Um, 
so you're always learning things, and, and it's not always good stuff about the about the Blue Jays when they're losing. Um, but but that's kind of where I would point. Fan morning show, Brent Cutting, Justin Cuthbert talking to BNS here. Uh, you know, Ben, just looking at this team with a specifically with Manoa, you mentioned him there, the the struggles he's had. You know, if this were a player with a longer track record, I, I wonder if you could be a little less concerned. You'd say, ah, okay, he's been through this rodeo before. He has all these, you know, these experiences he can look back on in the past. You know, Manoa, I'm not saying he's never struggled at the big league level, but he's kind of never struggled at the big league level, Ben. You know, he, he got shot out of a cannon and the there have been bad starts before, but they're generally followed up by by pretty good ones. How much does the fact that Manoa is still a relatively young player kind of make these these struggles a, a little more worrisome than they would be out of, I don't know, like let's just pick Kevin Gosman, for example, a guy who's had ups and downs in his big league career? Yeah, you know, I think you can look at it both ways. And, you know, you could say, okay, well, if it was Kevin Gosman, that would be easier to deal with because he has that track record. At the same time, Anyone who's seeing their stuff diminish, it, there's going to be cause for concern. And it doesn't matter what your age is. It doesn't matter what point in the season or what team you're on. If your fastball is losing velocity, if your slider is losing break, um, if you're not able to command your pitches as well, then those are the those are the raw ingredients that make a pitcher good. And if they're diminishing in quality, then you're just not going to be working with as much. Now, again, that can change. I mean, we see pitchers gain and lose velocity. We see them refine stuff and command. That can happen in season. Sometimes that happens season to season. So, you know, for a 25-year-old pitcher, there's still a lot of time for Alec Manoa to be a frontline arm, for him to realize all the potential that he showed in 2022. But the fact remains, right now, He's not close to that version, and so he'll need to make some big strides in command and in stuff to get back to that person. To what extent is this team falling short of meeting expectations defensively? Um, I mean, I think it's a good question. It's a good question. I think in the outfield, they're meeting expectations, and expectations were high. And I think they've been tremendous in, in the outfield for the most part. Um, at shortstop, I think if we zoom out to the big picture, Bobochet's been fine. Um, it was an, a really costly error on Wednesday, and that's the throw he needs to make, and the consequences were dire. But I think, on the whole, he's he's been fine at shortstop. Um, Santiago Espinal has been below what you'd expect from a player who needs to be really sharp defensively. I think that's safe to say. I think Vlad Jr. has been tremendous. I think Matt Chapman has been tremendous. Uh, I think the catching duo of Danny Jansen and Alejandro Kirk leaves something to be desired, especially with respect to the running game. And I don't want to put all of that on the catcher. Some of that is on the pitchers and their times to home plate, their, their ability to hold runners, all that sort of thing. But the opponents are, are running pretty freely against the Blue Jays. And with Ronald Acuna Jr. coming into Toronto with 15 stolen bases already, I think those tests are going to continue this weekend against Atlanta. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you about next uh, with respect to the to the defensive question and just the overall production out of the catching spot. I mean, Fangraphs had them number one heading into the season in terms of impact, right? And uh, I think they have struggled defensively, and I think offensively they've left something to be desired too. I mean, if we're looking at pain points, where does the catching sort of rank for you? I'd say pretty high. I think, yeah, the number one pain point is probably Manoa. Um, 
And beyond that, yeah, you get to the the disappointment of, of the catchers, um, I think, pretty quickly. I mean, Kirk still gets on base. I think his OBP is 385, somewhere in that range. Um, but he's only got two homers. You know, we're now approaching a quarter of the way through the season. You'd like to see more power from Kirk. Um, and, and like I said, I think defensively, um, there's just it's it's tough, right? You're facing the best base runners in the world too, but that's part of their job is to find ways to prevent the other team from getting extra bases. And I think we saw that in Philly. I think we saw that in Boston at times, um, where where the opposition was running just a little too freely. And again, there are ways for teams to make adjustments on this sort of thing in season. Um, and I'm not putting that past the Blue Jays, who you know remain in a very good spot to win, you know, on pace to win well over 90 games. Certainly looking like a playoff team, and and playoff teams have flaws, but that to me is one of them. I, I think that you want to have a better way to control the opponents as they as they run the bases on you, because some of the some of the elite teams in baseball that you might have to defeat on your way to a potential extended playoff run, ideally a World Series run. Well, those teams are going to be running the bases pretty well, and you need to shut them down. Yeah, you you do need to be able to do that. Uh, you know, just stick them in defense. We talked about this a little, but let's drill down on it. You know, Bo Bichette, obviously, it's not just about the error. He has long stretches where he doesn't make them, but it seems like the costly, the costly error, the big error at the bad time, uh, it seems to be, you know, something that comes to fruition for him a little more often than you would like for your shortstop. You know, for a team that is prioritized defense the way they have, obviously, we just talked about it. Vladdy, a gold glover, Matt Chapman, everything you could ask for. They completely retooled the outfield. And I understand with a player like Bichette, the offense he gives you does allow you to live with a little bit, maybe lesser than at a shortstop position. But it just seems a little bit odd in a roster construction way for them to be so okay with Bichette being a league average defender at shortstop. That is the most premium position or one of them in the sport. You know, it's always felt to me like this three-year arb deal he has is them kind of saying, okay, how does this go with him at short? And then we'll, we'll, deal with it then kind of you know what do you make of him being the shortstop and the idea obviously they're not going to move off of him in season but it's just a little odd for him to be at such a premium position when they built so much of their new identity around defense well you know it's it's definitely uh, to me he's he's okay at the position he's he's good enough to handle the position is he ozzy smith in his prime no um but I, and I and again we're we're coming off of his worst defensive moment of the season, bar none, and the most costly. And again, that was really costly. And he definitely, definitely should have made that play. Um, I just, to me, and and of course, like I would also grant that he's not going to play shortstop forever. No one does. Like they all move off of shortstop. And you know, for someone who hits as well as Bichette, he's probably going to have a really long major league career. Who knows? Is that at second base later? Is that as a DH? Is that left field? I mean, that's a question for years down the line. I think in the meantime, for the Blue Jays for 2023, for 2024, as they move ahead here, I think he's just their shortstop. Now, you want to work with him to get better at playing shortstop, and sometimes that might mean uh, throwing to first base with more conviction. Maybe it means throwing the ball overhand instead of sidearm. That's for mechanical uh, you know, coaches and, and instructors to look at on a, on a very detailed level with Bo Bichette. Um, but I think if, again, if you zoom out to the totality of it, you're still talking about a shortstop who hits 330 with a 900 OPS and he can handle the position. 
So uh, barring, you know, it's not like you want Santiago Espinal playing shortstop every day. There's no one in the minor leagues. There's no one in the trade market. This is why it's, you know, as much as we have this fantasy maybe of, oh, there's this perfect shortstop out there who can hit as well as Bo Bichette and who can hit as, as for as much power and with as much consistency and who can also never make a costly mistake at the position where you get the most reps in baseball. You know, I just don't know that that player really exists. Uh, tough road ahead if you're the Toronto Blue Jays. Because uh, they don't. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Uh, they've spent their off days uh, just recently this week uh, while getting swept by the Philadelphia Phillies, and they got a busy, busy schedule beginning with the Atlanta Braves. However, in terms of opponents, will they see anything quite like this virus George Springer's dealing with? Oh, yeah, it's been it's been hitting him for a while now, and you know he appeared to be fully, fully unavailable in Wednesday's game because as the Blue Jays were navigating that, that very close game against the Phillies late, um, they, they didn't go to Springer. Um, and so that's a sign that this, this virus continues to hit him really hard. Now we want to see ever. And, you know, let's be honest, you look at the numbers offensively, it's been pretty rough for George Springer. Some of that's bad luck. Some of that is struggles against breaking balls, against fastballs. He's been an easier guy to pitch to this year not pulling the ball quite as much uh so it's tough when you look at a guy who's again very much a core piece for this team he hasn't reached close to his potential and uh you know that's that's uh an ongoing question for the jades uh once they get him sorted from a health standpoint you want to dig into that production and make sure that you're getting more offense from Springer. Last one for you quickly, BNS. Uh, Brandon Belt's timing has been impeccable of late. I mean, both at the dish and when he turned his season around here. Did he rescue, has he rescued his season and his tenure with the Blue Jays just in the last week and change here? It definitely seems that way. I, I You know, you look at the numbers now, and his OPS is like 700, which, again, his job is to hit. He's a DH. You know, you kind of want it to be higher than that. Um, but we're still early in the season. The 700 OPS is not a disaster. And for a while, it looked as though Brandon Belt was completely overmatched. He was striking out so much. He was not making hard contact. He seemed not to be able to uh, make really good swings against high velocity. So that was pretty problematic. Again, for a guy who's essentially a DH part-time first baseman, um, you really are relying on the bat. He's not there to run the bases. He's not there to win a gold glove at first base. So, yeah, I, I think that his recent production has been really encouraging. Uh, the home run, obviously, against Zach Wheeler, a perfect example of that. He's also drawing some walks. So there are reasons to be encouraged by Brandon Belt. I, I admit, you know, I, I thought it was going in a different direction. So he's... Certainly proving some people wrong by hitting this well um, at this point in the season. I, I think more questions remain. I, I don't think a 700 OPS for a month is good enough to prove that you know he's um, exactly who the Blue Jays hopes he would be. But it's certainly enough to prop the door open for more playing time and more chances to prove that he can get back to that form. Uh, ben, appreciate you doing this. Uh, we look forward to hearing your call this weekend with the Braves in town. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me on. That's Ben Nicholson-Smith, our guy. Uh, we got another guy after the break. Bruce Boudreaux. Back-to-back passion havers. Definitely. Uh, longtime head coach uh, around the league, most recently with the Vancouver Canucks, and a guy who we see on our network now. Uh, Bruce Boudreaux, after the break.